What would you do if you could do anything? Welcome to The Purpose Effect. I'm Elena. Join me for weekly conversations on purpose with women who have found it and are impacting their worlds with it. People with disability, they're often like uh, desexualized. They're like, um, because you have a disability, you're not attractive. Because you have a disability, you don't deserve love, a relationship. You're automatically put in that friend zone <laughs> a lot of times, um, based on you know my conversations with so many other friends uh, from the community. So I would really love to see you know campaigns, um, and there are brands out there you know like who include uh, people with disabilities in their lingerie campaign. And I think it's a, it's really wonderful because it's so empowering. Uh, it allows you to. Um, I guess celebrate your body, whatever it is like. Today's guest is diversity, disability, and body inclusivity advocate Rosella Madrin. Rosella spent years feeling that the way she looked wasn't quote unquote normal. She has a birthmark on her face and endured, and sometimes continues to endure, bullying, mean comments, and unwanted stares. She has suffered with anxiety an eating disorder, and alcohol abuse. After hitting rock bottom, Rosella decided that she was going to own the way she looked and that her birthmark might actually be her superpower. She has set up a community platform called True Complexion, which celebrates difference and disability in all its forms. She also conducts workshops on diversity and inclusion for some of the world's largest brands and is a TEDx speaker and one of the faces of It Cosmetics. We talk about how she manages anxiety and body image now, the diversity she would like to see in fashion and beauty campaigns, and how inclusivity in and of itself is not enough. Brands must also commit to inclusivity and equity behind the scenes. But to begin with, we talk about how she first knew she looked different. I think it was when I was five, actually, at that, you know, very young age, um, when kids, you know, we start going to school. I remember very clearly that clearly this this one incident, you know, I got on the school bus uh, to go to school like every other kid. Um, and they were, there were these two Chinese girls um, who were on the bus speaking in Chinese to each other, not knowing that I understood um, the language. And uh, one of the girls, she was actually saying, you know, what's wrong with her face? Like, why is it so red? And it was at that moment I realized like, oh, okay something's wrong with me, like I'm not normal. Uh, Because, you know, when you're younger, you don't have uh, that comprehension. You don't understand that much language or you're surrounded uh, by a family who doesn't really talk about it, right? Um, You're not aware that you're different. Um, And I come from a mixed race family, so everyone uh, is of a different shade. Um, But going to school, um, experiencing that, and um, not only that one incident, you know, I mean, I started getting teased and bullied um, from kindergarten onwards. Uh, and that was how, yeah, how young um, I already felt like I didn't belong in this world. I mean, I'm so sorry that that happened to you. I mean, kids are, it can be incredibly cruel. When that com- when you heard that, when you heard those girls saying that about you and when you experienced the bullying uh, in the playground at kindergarten. Did you have any conversations about this with your family? Did you? No. Um, I think being from an Asian family as well, uh, we don't talk a lot about things like this. 
And um, when we do voice it out, right, um, I think often the response is, ah, you know, they're just being mean. Don't, don't bother about them. Don't worry about them. Get over it. And because we're taught to do that, uh, we don't understand. We don't learn how to process our feelings. We just ignore it, bottle it, it up inside. Uh, and then it kind of just piles up, right? And then it, um, to a certain point, you know, that bottle just pops and everything just explodes. Yeah. So I think that's the, the problem that we have here. Um, a lot of people, a lot of young people, a lot of kids are experiencing this, but because we're not allowed to have um, the conversations uh, to actually dissect what's going on, we don't know how to handle it. And that's the reason why so many of us, you know, we grow up having body image issues. Uh, so many of us grow up having mental health issues and we're too afraid to talk about it because when we do talk about it, um, we're told to get over it, you know, don't make a big deal out of it. And how do you get over it, right? If you, if someone just says that, get over it without giving you the tools, how do you do it? And you do the only thing that you know how to do, which is bottle it up and hope for the best. Exactly. You've spoken in the past many times about the effect that uh, the teasing had on your own self-esteem growing up and you had anxiety and panic attacks. What kinds of situations would trigger those? For me, you know, I think any form, based on my understanding of um, anxiety and panic attacks, the reason why we have it is because we're in a situation which is uncertain. We're out of our comfort zone. So anytime we feel like we're being threatened, uh, we start freaking out about it. Um, so for me that, you know, there's like so many uh, different things that can actually trigger that. Um, but you know, when I started getting panic attacks, it was actually when I was 17, I was, um, in, uh, uni and I was on a scholarship and, um, whenever my grades kind of slipped a little bit, I would start getting major panic attack because I was so afraid that, you know, I would lose uh, my scholarship. Uh, and, but the real thing is if you dig deeper enough, uh, the real reason why we're getting panic attacks and the real reason why we're freaking out is because um, we're actually worried that because of the situation, um, we're not going to be accepted. We're not going to be loved. We're not going to belong. Uh, but, you know, it takes a while for you to learn how to navigate that and to uh, really dig deep to find out the real um, reason, the, the root behind all your panic attacks. So for you, how have you learned to deal with um, the anxiety and the panic attacks? What kinds of tools are you using? Well, previously, I think it was more of me just um, finding a comfort space. So whenever I'm freaking out, water calms me down a lot. So taking a shower, taking a bath, drinking water, um, situations like that really help. In situations like that, being around water really helps. Uh, Learning how to breathe deeply to calm myself down, that really helps. Uh, but, you know, another thing that really helps me is to ask myself questions. Uh, like, why am I having this panic attack? Okay, I'm having this panic attack because I'm afraid, um, for example, that if I my grades start slipping, I will lose my scholarship. Okay, what will happen to me if I lose my scholarship? You know, um, then I won't be able to continue 
school because um, I can't afford it. And what happens if you can't continue school? You know, then I won't be able to get a good job. Then what happens if you don't get a good job? You know, so I kind of, one, it helps you just get out of that frenzy, like um, nervous mode because you focus your attention on asking yourself these questions. And two, once you actually start unraveling things, you're like, oh, okay, so this is actually the root issue. Um, so it just helps you manage the situation better. But you are now a diversity and inclusivity advocate, a speaker, a singer, and the face of an IT cosmetics campaign. So was there a particular moment when you said, I'm not going to let this be a barrier for me anymore. I'm going to embrace this. Mm. Ooh, so this is always a, a tough story to tell. Um, but, you know, when I was uh, in my 20s, um, my early 20s, you know, I drank a lot. I partied a lot because I had all this pent-up emotion inside me and I didn't know what else to do with it that I actually just numbed myself because that was uh, the easiest way I knew and the quickest way I knew how to deal with the situation. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it was really bad. Like some nights I would even come home and I would pass out, like, in front in the front yard before I could get my key through the door or I would pass out like in the shower while taking a shower before getting to bed um and my mom you know she actually had to see uh, my parents had to see me go through this and she had to actually pick me up get me dressed and put me into bed um so it was a really tough period in my life and um on my 27th birthday um I actually passed out before it was even midnight um it was really bad and the next morning I actually woke up uh in a hotel room uh, with luckily my cousin um, sleeping beside me. But I was so sick that morning, I kept throwing up uh, that my cousin actually had to take me to the doctors. And I was there for three hours because I had alcohol poisoning. Uh, and I think it was really that moment that I realized, like, man, if I continue like this, um, I'm probably going to end up killing myself one way or another. Uh, so that was a huge wake-up call for me. Because I imagined my future, you know, like if I continue this way, like what's going to happen to me in a year? What's going to happen to me in three years and five years? You know, am I even going to be here still? Um, so I think that was uh, a really pivotal uh, moment for me. Like I had to hit rock bottom uh, for me to realize that I need to crawl out of this dark space yeah. um, and save myself because no one's going to come and save me. Then what was the next step? After you made that decision, you hit rock bottom, you realized something had to change. What was the next step that got you back on the path to where you are now and being healthy? Um, actually, you know, it was really uh, one of my really good friends, um, Siva, he actually pulled me aside um, the day, you know, of, uh, that I had alcohol poisoning. And he said, you know, this can't happen anymore you kind of need to start um taking better care of yourself and uh he started my birthday's on uh, 29th of december oh uh, so th that happened on 30th so 31st you know everybody's partying right so he's like you know what you're coming out with me and my friends uh and i'm gonna make sure that you have a sober one this year um and he was really the reason the reason why i started uh taking better care of myself he introduced me to my first mentor um who got me into this uh like um, well, he really got me into having a really solid morning routine. Mm -hmm. um, and that really helped me um, gain more clarity of who I am and what I wanted to do in my life. Because 
I was so lost at the moment, you know, like all I knew was pain. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't know what my future was going to look like. Um, and uh, my mentor, you know, Francis, um, he actually got me to wake up at like 5 a.m. every single morning to go to the park and do qigong. Uh, with all the auntie, auntie and uncles, uh, which was really awkward to begin with, you know, uh, in the first place because I was the only non-Chinese and the only like the youngest person there. Um, but he got me to do that. He got me to learn how to meditate, how to journal. Um, he got me to ask myself this question like every single day, like, um, what is it that you want out of your life? Um, what is it that's really going to make you happy? Uh, and because I asked myself those questions every single day and I took care of myself, um, one day it just came to me, you know, like, hmm, actually, I've always wanted to do music, but I've never had the courage to do it. Um, and I completely forgot about it. Uh, and I saw, I remember seeing my nephew's toy piano um, on the floor and I picked it up and I started just um, randomly pressing the keys. Uh, and I wrote this song called Blackbird about this little bird that was too afraid to fly, too afraid to leave the nest. Um, and that's really how it started. And once I started working on music, um, one, I had an outlet to process all my anger and frustration uh, and emotions, uh, but two, you know, I was finally doing something that I really wanted to do for the first time and not just doing what other people told me that um, I could do. Yeah, and your music is beautiful. I was listening to some of your singles before uh, before this, this conversation. Oh, and do you still feel shame about your body or the way you look? I Shame is not a word that I would use now. Yeah. Um, I would probably use the word guilt, guilt. Uh, if I don't take care of myself properly, okay. for example. Right? Um, I don't have shame about me being the way that I am, looking the way that I am, uh, but I feel guilty if, for example, you know, um, I don't really take good care of myself. I'm eating things that I'm not supposed to, that are not nourishing for my body. I'm not exercising um, as regularly, you know, or I'm not meditating mm-hmm. as regularly because it really does um, impact um, my being, right? Yeah. My mental health. Um, it really does just impact doing all these tiny things. These self-care things really does, um, I don't know, help you throughout your day. Um, and for me, I feel guilt and not shame because I think shame is a word that's associated to us being the bad thing, being the wrong thing. But guilt is actually associated to like the action, the behavior, the things that we say. Yeah. So it's two very different things. I, I realize that in saying that, in using the word shame, it probably has a lot more to do with myself and some of the issues that I've had around anxiety. So I guess I was projecting a bit. Well, we, we all do. <laughs> and I'm sorry to yeah. have made that assumption. But I agree with what you're saying about the compounded impact of the little things. Like anything in life, managing anxiety is a marathon, not a sprint. And you have to train your mind and train your body every day. And it needs to become a daily habit because I've also noticed for myself, if if exercise or journaling or any of my mental practices start slipping or I stop prioritizing them, I end up taking a couple of steps backwards. It it really does. um, It's like a ripple effect, you know? Uh, So 
there's this um, author called Jill Willard. Uh, she says, um, you know, that we have four bodies that we need to take care of, uh, which is our mental body, our emotional body, our spiritual body, and our physical body. But a lot of us, because we see our physical body all the time, that's the thing that we work on first, or that's the only thing that we work on, uh, but we neglect the other three bodies. But these things are actually interconnected with each other. So if one, um, if we don't take care of one body of ours um it kind of affects everything else so it's really like trying to find a balance trying to harmonize um everything yeah oh that's really interesting um i'll have to take a look at jill willard jill willard yeah. i'll have to take a look at that book i'm really interested in the work that you've been doing particularly in the beauty industry and changing representation in the beauty industry because that's one industry which has kind of the most boxed in standards of of beauty um but i also see certainly in the past few years that the beauty industry is celebrating diversity more and consumers are loving it we've seen this in the success of fenty beauty and gucci last year did a campaign called unconventional beauty which was also really well received Last year, you did a campaign with IT Cosmetics, and you're one of the faces of the brand in Malaysia. Do you think Asian standards of beauty are now changing and becoming more inclusive also? I think it really depends on where you are in Asia. Um, also, it depends on the culture uh, that you're in, right? For example, if you compare it to like Malaysian culture to um, Korean culture, for it's example, true. they have so much of emphasis uh, when it comes to getting plastic surgery. It's normalized. Uh, people save up and give it as birthday presents to their kids, right? Um, so it really does um, depend on where you're at, the culture, the beliefs um, that you're surrounded by that you grow up with. Uh, but it definitely has um, changed a lot um, in the past compared to, you know, when I started True Complexion, nobody was talking about diversity. Nobody was talking about inclusion uh, in Malaysia. But now, you know, fast forward six years later, um, it's quite normalized in the urban area. But if you look at marketing campaigns, maybe in um, markets that we're not familiar with, that we're not um, part of... Um, you, I mean, all you have to do is just, you know, drive down the highway and sometimes you see different images that are a, a little bit still old-fashioned, a little more stereotypical of what a woman should look like, what the role of a woman should be. Um, so, you know, it's like, uh, it really depends, yeah. But we're definitely moving towards there. Uh, but my hope is always that, you know, um, that when these brands do come on board and do these kind of campaigns, uh, that they're actually genuinely doing this um, because they believe in it and not just jumping on a trend. Uh, because I see it all the time in my community, right? Because a lot of the other people in, from my community as well, um, they also come on board and do um, different uh, beauty campaigns or fashion campaigns. Um, but the question is, you know, they're being inclusive. Um, these brands are being inclusive uh, in front of other people. But behind the scenes, are you actually treating people well? Are you actually paying uh, people well, right? Or are you, um, yeah, especially people with disabilities, right? They, they often get taken advantage of. Um, so it's really um, the question of, are you actually being that and doing that behind the scenes when no, no one is watching? Or is that just a front that you're putting on to get more um, cash in your pocket? Yeah, that's very important. I mean, the, the point that you raised about also inclusiveness and equality when it comes to payment of the models, 
um, regardless of whether or not they're, regardless of who those models are, if they perform that work for you, then they're entitled to be paid equitably and they shouldn't be taken advantage of um, so that you can meet the objectives of a, a inclusive campaign. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think the beauty industry is also particularly harsh on the standards that it holds women and girls to. And why do you think it's particularly important that young women and girls have and see diverse representations of beauty? Because let's be honest, you know, if you walk down the street, how many women actually look like uh, those models from Victoria's Secret, you know, for example, right? Actually, Uh, those models don't even look like that. (laughs) (laughs) And there's just so much pressure. Um, I remember, you know, when I was younger, whenever I walked into a store, um, well, we didn't have Sephora back then, but, you know, whenever I walked into a similar kind of store, um, it made me feel really insecure about myself because all of these women are uh, extremely tiny, extremely perfect. Um, They have certain features, which I don't have, right? And uh, I always remember, like, even uh, the salespeople, the minute they see me, they're like, oh, great, target. Uh, so they come to you, and they make you feel worse about yourself. Um, they use that insecurity to actually, as a selling tactic, right? And you just end up coming out of the store just feeling horrible about yourself. Um, so that's a reason why I feel like it's so important for more brands uh, to actually be inclusive, to actually portray images of what real women actually look like so that we can see ourselves in the, um, as a reflection uh, when we see these images, when we see these videos, right? When we see this content on social media, um, we feel like, yeah, I belong. I'm okay. Um, I don't have to change. Yeah. I think it's really empowering actually. And the research also shows that, It shows that when we're bombarded with images of, you know, one particular body type or look that is kind of conventionally perfect, it has a negative effect on self-esteem and body image. And when we see more diverse shapes, shapes and or or faces or ethnicities that we identify with, it has a positive impact. But we're still focusing on the bodies and the 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 outside. Um, the outside look, the physical aspect. Do you think there's a way to change that conversation? So it's also about like other parts of what makes us unique. I think it's really being mindful of the words that we use and the way that we teach um, younger women uh, and girls, especially Um, Because, I mean, if we look back in history, right, what was the purpose of a woman? Mm -hmm. Um, We didn't have careers. We didn't have uh, the ability to do things for our own. We didn't have independence, right? Um, Our purpose was to be married off to someone. And how do you make, how do you become good marriage material? You know, you look good, right? That was your value, your worth. There's so much emphasis on that. Uh, But the conversation is really different now right? Like a lot of women um, are taking control of their lives. They're independent. Uh, They have really wonderful jobs. They have, they're doing so many great things in their life, but because we're so focused, uh, we're still stuck in that mentality that we've carried down from one generation uh, to the next um, that our ancestors used to have uh, that we haven't switched out of it yet. Um, So it's simple things like even uh, 
when your friend, for example, you know, um, got healthier, lost a lot of weight, um, instead of saying, man, you look good, you know, changing the conversation, maybe saying like, you know, you worked really hard. I'm so proud of you. You were really persistent and look at you, you achieved your goal, right? So it's just flipping the conversation, flipping the words that we use, um, and actually celebrating each other, um, for our successes. Yeah. I think this is particularly important conversation to have here in Malaysia because in other parts of Southeast Asia, people are extremely direct about Mm -hmm. weight in particular. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And yeah, people will tell you very directly if you've put on weight, if you've lost it and how they feel about it. Strangers will tell you even, you know, I mean, I, like the great thing about the pandemic is that like half of my face is covered. So you don't really see my birthmark and everyone's scared of making conversation with people you don't know. Right. So, um, the relief that a lot of people with facial differences, uh, with disability, um, since the pandemic set, we don't get people stopping us on the street and asking us, um, what questions or, yeah. Or like, um, saying rude things to us. Uh, whereas previously, you know, like, Whenever I walk out of the door, I have to mentally prep myself. Okay, someone is probably going to stop me and ask me what's wrong with my face or probably going to say something or maybe stare or maybe laugh. Um, So I have to mentally prep myself. Now it's like, you know, I can walk out without having to worry. Yeah. So people still, strangers still stop you and ask you about your birthmark. Till today, I mean... Well, not today because, you know, since the pandemic happened, uh, it's been way lesser. But, yeah, like I would get into a Grab, for example, and uh, the Grab driver would not only ask me what's wrong with my face, um, he'll, he'll give me a story about, oh, yeah, maybe your mother um, did something wrong or like she had a dream about a snake or, you know, like there's a lot of cultural, um, uh, I guess, belief systems. Superstitions. Yeah, superstition as well uh, and sometimes you know I would even walk into an elevator and the stranger will be like and in a very rude manner um, just say like yeah why are you so red um, well, it's so normalized what would you like people to say would you prefer them not say anything or, or ask you something that could potentially be constructive uh, I think speaking from the community a lot of people rather um not have people come up and ask questions uh, because I think they've had that happen to them over and over again Mm -hmm. and they're just so tired of answering questions Uh, but I feel like if you're coming from a genuine place um, just framing it uh, in the right way Mm -hmm. you know asking it properly Um, and especially when you have children um, in the room with you Uh, because kids you know I absolutely understand when kids come up to me and ask me questions because they're curious Uh, but a lot of times when that happens you know the parent pulls the kid away and say like oh don't be so rude or um they'll make up a story like oh you know she was just in the sun a lot it's a it's a it's it's a sunburn um they'll make up a story to make it better for the kids uh to like diffuse the situation but actually that doesn't help uh because you know the kid doesn't learn anything. Yeah. Um, so then let's talk about the community and particularly your community platform, True Complexion. How did that start? For me, uh, you know, I was a really, really shy and timid person uh, growing up. 
And um, what I really wanted to do previously was to actually be on stage to perform and sing. It was something that I always wanted to do ever since I was a little girl. But I was constantly told that I shouldn't do it because no one wants to see my face on stage. You know, um, it's not normal. You're not uh, pretty enough uh, to be an entertainer. Um, so I kind of put that um, in the back seat. kind of forgot about that dream for a very long time. Uh, but, you know, when it came to a point where I said, like, you know what, I'm just going to do it. Like, yeah, people are telling me that I'm too old to do it right now, that um, I don't fit the look. Um, and I just went for it. Uh, that kind of built my confidence in myself. Mm -hmm. uh, and somehow that inspired me to, hey, you know, now that I'm using my voice for this, that I've exercised my voice this way, like, is there something else that I can do uh, to actually make bigger, like create a bigger impact? And for me, it was really... Um, starting conversations about uh, inclusivity and diversity, mm -hmm. about people who don't fit into that box um, of what beauty is, of what quote, uh, quote unquote normal is. Yeah. The, the platform is wonderful because it celebrates beauty in all of its forms. And it also provides a platform for those with disabilities um, to tell their stories. And also brands, approach you to work with some of the community that you've gathered through uh, True Complexion. So when a business approaches you to partner with a campaign, what are they looking for that maybe other businesses can't provide, other agencies? Um, I think it's really that connection with the community because uh, a, a lot of other um, agencies, uh, I wouldn't really call it True Complexion agency. Yeah, yeah, it's not an agency, I understand. But yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we, we do. I, I, we do act as an agency sometimes, um, but I think you know, for me, um, when companies approach me, they're very specific on the type of person that they're looking for. Like perhaps they're looking for people with diabetes or with psoriasis um, or with a specific disability. And um, a lot of times, you know, um, your regular agencies they don't have access um, to a lot of these people. Um, whereas you know, I've built this community for like. Um, six years already. Uh, so I have a lot of friends um, who are not only, if they don't have the condition, they might know someone who, who has it. Uh, so that's kind of how I um, come in and help them. And I also help them in uh, creating the campaign, making sure that the language, they're taking care of the language that they use. Uh, they're being mindful of certain things. Like um, if we're doing a psoriasis campaign, for example, making sure that you're not doing it, you know, um, for aesthetics, shooting the video like uh, under the sun, yeah, because uh, it can cause flare up, right? Because uh, people with psoriasis have really sensitive skin. Um, so these tiny, tiny things really matter. Um, so I think people come to me uh, for that, yeah, to help them with that. You are also one of the faces of It Cosmetics in Malaysia and and globally. Uh, Malaysia, but you know, uh, my um, face has been uh, in outlets in Singapore and Sephora outlets in Singapore. Um, and uh, this year, I was actually part of the group of the global campaign as well. Um, so it was part of uh, a social media campaign that they did globally. How did that uh, campaign come about? How did they approach you? Um, they actually came to me, you know, just um, asking me to try their products and saying, um, you know, would you like to test this out? Because uh, they know that, you know, when I'm performing, I kind of like to uh, 
I guess I have an alter ego on stage. Uh, so, so I like to do, you know, um, different types of makeup, different types of styling. Um, and they know that, um, I do have sensitive skin because of my birthmark. Uh, so I have to be very careful about the products that I use. Um, and because it cosmetics was actually, uh, found, the founder of It Cosmetics was actually uh, Jamie Kern Lima, and she has rosacea. Okay. Uh, yeah, so she designed the products, um, the ingredients and all of that uh, to make sure that it's sensitive skin friendly. Um, so when they approached me, um, it was just to try out the products, um, and I really did love it. it. It was really kind to my skin. Um, and because I think I really liked the philosophy and the backstory of the company um, when they asked me to come on board the campaign you know um, I was really happy to do so and when I saw you know their concept um, I really loved it I, I thought it was really empowering um, and I just imagine um, if I was that young girl walking into the store feeling awkward um, how would I you know look at myself if I saw that image yeah how would you have felt if when you were sort of a you know 12, 13 years old, you had seen a woman like you in an It Cosmetics campaign. Yeah. yeah. And are there other brands that you would particularly like to work with, brands that you think might need to do more? Or what would you like to see more of in the beauty industry in terms of diversity? I think more disability representation, to be honest, because there's a lot of um, campaigns now that are focused on uh, making sure you have people of color represented, yeah. um, making sure that people of different body sizes represented. But in Malaysia, you don't have a lot of um, fashion, um, yeah, fashion outlets or beauty outlets actually having people with disabilities um, represented. Like, I'm not too sure if Fenty, you know, yeah. like Fenty, um, Rihanna's brand is one of the most inclusive brands right now. Um, in terms of shades, yeah. In terms of shades, uh, in terms of body size, like if you look at their um, campaign, right, uh, or their fashion show, uh, they have every single body type. But I didn't watch the one this year. But as far as I remember, the one last um, season, like, I think so, if I'm correct, um, they didn't have any disability representation. Uh, so I think a lot of times that is still a bit of a taboo in a lot of, um, especially in our country, because um, like you said, you know, there's a lot of superstition attached to it. Yeah. Yeah. And just to your point earlier, it's really important to do that in a way to celebrate and showcase disability in your campaigns in a way that's not exploitative or mm -hmm. doesn't look exploitative. Um, yeah. That's generally inclusive. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I would love, I would love, like, especially, like, uh, lingerie brands, for example, um, to have this kind of Im imagery, right? Because um, people with disability, they're often, like, uh, desexualized. They're like, um, because you have a disability, you're not attractive. Because you have a disability, you don't deserve love, a relationship. You're automatically put in that friend zone <laughs> a lot of times um, based on, you know, my conversations with so many other friends uh, from the community. So I would really love to see, you know, campaigns. Um, and there are brands out there, you know, like who include uh, people with disabilities in their lingerie campaign. And I think it's, it's really wonderful because it's so empowering. Uh, it allows you to... Um, 
I guess, celebrate your body, whatever it is like. As a side note here, Fenty's lingerie line, Savage X, has in the past hired models living with disability, in addition to models of different ethnicities and body shapes for its annual fashion show. The brand does also hire its fair share of models who rose to fame as Victoria's Secret Angels, Gigi Hadid, Bella Hadid, and Bahati Prinsloo, to name a few. However, while Victoria's Secret CMO Ed Razek resigned in 2018 after saying that hiring trans models for the Victoria's Secret fashion show would ruin the fantasy, the overwhelming response from Savage X shows is that Savage X is not about showcasing fantasy women in lingerie, but about making all women feel beautiful. And some men. The brand caters for men, too. But representing disability in all kinds of campaigns is really important. Everyone deserves to feel sexy. And this is exactly what brands like Savage X Fenty are trying to say. Yeah, or, or like even um, in roles in like, you know, shows, uh, TV shows, right? Like oftentimes, like you fall under like, I think, three categories. One, you're the villain. Uh, two, you're the victim. Mm-hmm. Three, you're kind of like the hero. Um, you know, it's like the the underdog that became successful or something like that. Overcomes it. Who overcomes it, right? Uh, and become an inspiration to able-bodied people to overcome their own insecurities or challenges. Uh, but, you know, we don't often have, um, like a lot of times when I have conversations with the community, they're like, I don't want people to celebrate me for being a photographer because I'm an amputee, you know, because I, there are other people doing that why is it special when I do it? You know, it's normal. Um, I just want to fit in. I just want people to treat me like a normal person instead of putting me on pedestal uh, for doing regular everyday things. Yeah, we need to look past the disability as the defining yeah, characteristic I think a lot of a of person. Times, um, when it comes to representation, we put that identity on them, you know, um, instead of figuring out who is this person um, beside that disability, right? What other value uh, do they bring to the table? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I agree with that. So now that you are in a much more empowered place personally and you've learned to manage your anxiety and your panic attacks, what makes you feel confident? For me, I think what makes me feel confident is, number one, uh, when I actually keep my promises to myself, when I say, you know, when I do things that I say I will do, um, when I take care of myself, uh, that really empowers me. That really makes me feel confident. Um, and number two, I think uh, making it not just about me, um, making sure that um, I help other people along the way, um, that I serve the community um, that I'm in, that I serve people who actually need help. Um, that makes me happy. And, you know, when I'm happy, I feel confident um, because I'm actually not just focusing on me. I'm, I'm trying to contribute as well. Yeah. So with that in mind, what does purpose mean to you? For me, purpose really means uh, doing something more than something that doesn't just benefit me, something that helps me get ahead of life in life, uh, but it also helps other people. You know, it gives more meaning, uh, more purpose uh, to what I'm doing instead of just making everything about, oh, yeah, I'm going to do this because I want to make, I want to be famous, for example, right? Um, That's just such a surface level of looking at things. Uh, But if you actually 
try to serve other people who maybe have uh, gone through similar issues, um, then that actually gives meaning to your life, that gives texture, color, that gives you reason to get up every morning, um, especially on days that are actually hard, that gives you, I guess, the drive and the motivation to keep going uh, when you're faced with challenges. And I get asked this question quite a lot, like how do you openly share your story without having any fear? Because, you know, I talk about struggling with anxiety, with depression, with an eating disorder, uh, with an alcohol problem. Um, I, I talk about all of this very openly um, when I do, you know, my workshops and my talks. Uh, and for me, it's like um, one of the ways that I've really got to overcome that fear is because I, I, I shift the perspective. It's not about me. It's about how someone who might be going through um, a rough time right now who might have experienced or are still experiencing something similar. Um, hopefully it gives them some comfort that they're not alone in this journey. Hopefully it gives them some hope that things can get better. My, my goal is always like, if it even helps one person, then that's all that matters. Yeah. Yeah. Then job done. Yeah. Yeah. And so now having learned these ways to manage your anxiety and also manage your relationship with body image, what would you say to the younger you who might have still been struggling? I think I would just tell her that, you know, um, everything is okay. Like you're fine the way that you are. Um, that this thing that you uh, think is your curse mm -hmm. is actually your superpower. Yeah. Because the minute that I owned it, like my life shifted so much, you know, because I owned it true complexion happened because I owned it. It cosmetics happened because I owned it. All these speaking engagements came through. Right. So I would tell her just be you. Like, um, if people are telling you, um, that you're not good enough, that you can't do this, um, it's because of their own fears that they're projecting on you. Uh, but it doesn't represent who you are or what you're worth. Um, and what you're worth, you know, has nothing to do with the way that you look, um, how much success you have, uh, if you're in a relationship or not, you know, all these things, right? What you're worth is really, it depends on how you show up for yourself every single day, what you do when the cameras are not rolling, mm -hmm. um, what you do when no one is watching. Um, so I would just tell her to just keep going, you know, baby steps. Like, you don't have to get from A to Z in one day, in one year. Um, take it at your pace. But if you keep going, doing one tiny step at a time, like you'll get there. Yeah. And I would add one thing to that, which is not just how you show up for yourself, but how you show up for other people and yeah. um, those people who are close to you and those people in communities who need more people to show up for them, which is something yeah. that you are certainly doing. Yeah, but I think it always starts with yourself as well. Because if you don't show up for yourself, how are you going to show up for other people? How are you going to teach other people to show up for themselves, right? So um, it all boils down back to yourself. Take care of yourself first. Like, you know, um, in the airplane, right? They always tell you, put your mask on yourself first before you put it on your kid or your loved one. Um, it's the same thing. Yeah. Yes, that's true. That's true. We can't um, forget that. So what's next for you then, Rosella? For me right now, um, I'm really focused on... Uh, 
building more workshops for people because uh, that seems to be quite a popular request, like doing more speaking engagements and workshops, uh, but doing longer ones as well. Um, and not just providing them for companies, but also providing them for smaller groups, um, for individuals doing one-to-one session uh, because a lot of people are struggling out there and they don't know how to get help or where to get help. Um, so it's more access- accessible. So if um, for anyone out there who might have uh, body image issues that are crippling, that really are interfering with their day-to-day life, how can they get in touch with you or in touch with some services that can provide them with support? So I'm on all the platforms. Well, not all, you know, not TikTok. <laughs> and, and the one with the younger crowd, not those, but I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook, uh, I'm on Instagram, um, it's Rosella Marie, or I'm on uh, or True Complexion, you can find me there. Um, or my email is, you know, truecomplexionproject uh, at gmail.com. So you can reach me uh, via all these um, ways. And yeah, I, I'm more than happy to see how I can help people because, you know, I really needed that when I was younger and because I got the help that I needed. Um, I'm where I am today. So I'm hoping that I can be of service of, uh, to other people as well. Great. And I will be linking to all of those in the show notes. So anyone can get in touch with you if they need to. Um, and also through my Instagram profile. So thank you so much for your time, Rosella. This is a really, really wonderful chat. And, and thank you for your work and creating the platform True Complexion, because I think, um, I think it's really beautiful and empowering. Thank you, Elena. Like I am um, such an honor to be here uh, with you today. And I really love that you're also, you know, creating a space for women to um, talk about all these issues that actually matter, have conversations and normalize uh, different things that we're kind of afraid of or is a taboo um, in our community. So thank you so much for that. That's it for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you would like to get in touch with Rosella, her details and the details of her True Complexion platform are in the show notes and also on my Instagram profile. Please do subscribe to The Purpose Effect or follow if you're listening on Spotify and you'll never miss an episode. Catch you next week.